I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 537 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I got an awesome guest returning to the podcast today. Former Navy SEAL Carl Higby joins me on First Class Fatherhood. Carl joined the Navy as a result of the devastating attacks on 9-11. He served with the elite United States Navy SEAL teams. He saw many combat missions. In fact, Carl was on the Navy SEAL assault team that captured the most wanted man in the Middle East at the time known as the Butcher of Fallujah. And instead of being applauded for their actions, the SEALs came under fire because the poor little butcher cried that he was mistreated or treated too harshly. This is the same butcher who was responsible for hanging four Americans from a bridge over the Euphrates River. He was eventually handed over to the Iraqi government who rightfully hanged the bastard of Fallujah. After his military career, Carl has regularly appeared on Fox News, CNN. He currently hosts the Saturday Report on Newsmax. Carl is as patriotic of an American as you will find anywhere in the country. He's also a hero and a first-class father all the way. I'm honored to have him back on the podcast today. Carl Higby will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Carl Higby was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between the former Navy SEAL and myself, Please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and Carl Higby was the very first Navy SEAL that I ever interviewed on the podcast. That was way back on episode number 33. Since then, I've had the honor of speaking with over 60 Navy SEAL frogmen on the podcast here, including Jocko Willink, Marcus Luttrell, Rob O'Neill. I've had three Medal of Honor recipient Navy SEALs, Ed Byers, Michael Thornton, Bob Kerry. If you go through the archives of the show here, you will see all of the Navy SEALs that I've had the honor of having on the podcast here. And be sure you guys are following me on Instagram, at Alec underscore Lace, for all the other upcoming guest announcements. i got some bangers coming your way soon. Make sure you tune in this weekend to Fox News with Chris Wallace. I was interviewed by Chris Wallace. The segment will air on his show, Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace, uh, October 10th at 2 p.m. I hope you'll tune in. If you guys are enjoying the podcast here, please consider hitting me with a rating review. It always goes a long way to help me out. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show to see us celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Carl Higby. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. What's doing, dads? I've got two ways for you guys to save money and support First Class Fatherhood. First up, the NFL season is back and the stands are packed once again with fans the way it's supposed to be. If you plan on taking your kids, going with your family, or going with the guys to the game, save $20 on your tickets by going to SeatGeek.com or using the SeatGeek app and use my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, and you're going to save $20 off your tickets. Okay, and secondly, you got to go to MyPillow.com and save up to 66% off using my promo code FATHERHOOD. MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD. I'll tell you right now, their pillows are great, but their mattress toppers, their towels, their bathrobes are next level. You got to check them out. MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD, and you're going to save up to 66% off your order. All right, you got that, guys? SeatGeek, save $20 on your tickets, promo code over there, first class. My pillow promo code over there, fatherhood. All right, two ways for you guys to save money and support First Class Fatherhood. And joining me now, First Class Father, Carl Higby. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Well, I appreciate you having me on. 
Yeah, it's an honor to have you back. You're the first Navy SEAL I had on the podcast. I've had over 60 frogmen on the show since. Uh, you were the first. It's a big honor to have you back here. So uh, let's just start it right here to remind our listeners how many kids you have. How old are they? Uh, so I got two. And uh, believe it or not, I think this is the first public statement that I got one on the way. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. You, you, you're going to find out what you're having. Or you're going to wait to the end. It's a boy. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Yep. Uh, when, uh, when are we expecting this? Uh, March. So uh, the world is safe for another few months. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations <laughs> there. And if you could, Carl, j- j- just for a minute here, just hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh, so I was uh, you know, born and raised in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, went to high school, went after 9-11, reluctantly started college, and then we started putting troops on the ground after 9-11. I dropped out, joined the military, became a SEAL, and wrote a couple books tripped and fell into the TV industry somehow, uh, was on the Trump campaign and the Trump uh, administration, got out, and now I'm a host on Newsmax. Yeah, you've had a wild wild career here, Carl. Thank you for your service, as always. And so take me back now, Carl, to the beginning of your fatherhood journey here. Uh, about how old were you then when you first became a dad, and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? You know, I will say um, it is ever-changing. It always changes. I mean, you know, it always changes. Um you know how you how you, how you feel about life. Uh, every every day is a is a new thing. But I uh, had my first child with my now my ex wife. Uh, we had uh, my daughter down in Virginia Beach when I was stationed down there. Right when I was getting out of the military. Uh, part of the reason why I got out of the military as well was because I didn't want to raise kids being on the road eleven months out of the year. So we. Um, we did that, moved back. We ended up separating. She lives uh, about a mile from me right now. And I'll say one of the things is our court systems uh, really don't favor men. They really don't. Um, I fought to the tunes of tons. I mean, we're talking tons of money uh, to just get 50-50 with my daughter. Um, and, and you know, there's a lot of fathers out there who go through this. And they're forced to make Im- immense sacrifices. Uh, you know, sometimes the the sp- the ex spouse moves away, and the you know, it is, but it is always worth fighting for. And you know, you, obviously, a, a, a kid needs both parents, so I, I would never fight to take her away from a parent. However, you do have to fight for what is yours. Um, and there was a number of things in my divorce. Actually, the NRA did a documentary on it where my ex-wife decided she wanted to take my guns away in exchange for getting what she wanted. There was no actual issue with guns. It was uh, it was a, simply a ploy, I think, I would imagine sought up by her lawyer. Uh, we fought. We won 100%. Uh, and I got 100% of what I wanted in custody, too. But you have to fight for that stuff. And that that's the most unfortunate thing about divorce. Now we have, uh, you know, like I said, they live a mile away, so she can ride her bike back and forth. But um, I have another son with my current wife. And then, as I said, one on the way. He's four. He likes all things mechanical. So if he sees an excavator on the side of the road, we have to pull over and he has to look at it, um, which is it, it means we're raising a good Republican boy right there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it is an ever-changing environment, especially now with technology, you know, my, if you ask a kid, and I know this is, is, is interesting. If you, you ask you or I like, Hey, how do you pick up a phone? We pick up the phone with a pinky and a thumb and, you know, like it's a phone. Now, if you ask a kid had to pick up a phone, it's like they're holding a brick and they put it up to their phone. It's just like the technological difference are amazing. My four-year-old knows more about the iPad than I do. Um, it's, 
it's shocking. So being a parent today, I think, is balancing the newer sides of technology and things like that. We're very fortunate. We, we work very hard. We have a farm where I actually am upstate right now, um, upstate Connecticut, and we spend our weekends up here. We don't have a TV in the house. We uh, make sure the kids are outside. I mean, you probably remember the, the litmus test was come home before the streetlights come on. You know, now, I mean, can you imagine doing that in most, you know, suburban areas? I mean, it would be... It's almost unthought of. So now we have, uh, you know, we have this this great property up here, and it's really allowed my kids to appreciate um, how things used to be. They just go outside, they get dirty, they come back when they're hungry, and then at night they come back when the sun starts to go down, so they don't get eaten by a coyote. I mean, that's like <laughs> that's kind of the litmus. And I will say that watching my daughter develop versus her peers. Um, you know, I'm not like a doomsday prepper, but I am a survivalist. I was obviously my, my prior career in the military and seeing them thrive up here and then seeing them with their friends. It's it's interesting because she has this notion of self-confidence being by being having that element of independence uh, up here. You know, she's got a quad. My son can walk down to the barn. He can go catch a frog at the river. You know, they can do things that kids it used to be the norm. And we've started to see her tell these stories in school. And we're starting to have other families come up. You know, we have a couple bedrooms up here. Families will come up for the weekend and they'll say afterwards, they're like, this is the greatest experience my kids have ever had. You know, you put a, an eight-year-old kid on a, on a little tiny mini quad and they've, they've gotten this newfound um, independence and this self-confidence. And they've actually, I've actually had parents say, like, I've seen a remarkable improvement in my daughter, my son, whatever, their self-confidence because it's really rewarding. That's definitely a different way of living. And yeah, I, I grew up, I could hear my mother calling through the neighborhood. It was dinner time. And then it, when it was time to come in and back then it was, if you had to stay in the house, that was your punishment. Now to punish the kids, you send them outside, you know, and on the technology part there, Carl too, I was the kid in the family growing up that could hook up the VCRs and, and do all that stuff. My father would always ask me to do that. Now I'm asking my oldest son, Hey, how do I beam this thing to the TV? I can't get it going, you know? So it, it's definitely come right. full circle with the technology and, and, and on your point with the court system, I talk on the show all the time about the fatherless crisis that we have going on in the country, and it's twofold. I think we have so many kids being born out of wedlock, for one, and on the other side, we have so many dads that are just getting crushed in the court system uh, that are, number one, being completely embarrassed, number two, being completely financially drained, and mm -hmm. it's causing them a lot of times to just throw up their hands and say, I'm doing all this to get a minimal custody uh, of my child. And I had Greg Ellis on the podcast. He's an actor that was in Pirates of the Caribbean. He wrote a whole book about this, calling it The Family mm -hmm. Court Cartel. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry, and it's just ripping kids away from particularly their dads, oh. and it's a crisis in the country. No, it is. And, you know, they talk about masculinity, but you look at our prison systems, it's almost 80 percent of our prison systems, not quite, but it's almost 80 percent are from fatherless children. I mean, it's or from, yeah, from fatherless children. And it, it's crazy to me. I'm just amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and, and those stats go all the way through, Carl, to high school dropouts, uh, youth homelessness, youth suicide, all those numbers line up. So in my opinion, it's the number one social issue we have going on in the country. And unless yeah. we strengthen our families and solve this crisis, I, I think we're just running around in circles trying to solve everything else. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the child needs both sides. I mean, they need their mother for, for certain things. They need their father for certain things. And I think that, you know, if you look back, okay, to the fatherless rate within certain communities, I mean, the... 
the civil rights movement where you have where you had a, a massive intervention to the black community um you know for the, the the idea of and the notion that it would make that community better but what it did was is it gave, it actually because it's a government program obviously it, it had the adverse effect where it provided the, uh, a, a basis and, and a a notion where um, fathers weren't as needed because the provider became the government and it, they were less reliant. And the the, the uh, single motherhood rate went from 30 percent to 70 percent during that time. And, uh, you know, I think it's just so important because I, I have many friends who've grown up with, you know, they lost a father in the military. And I have a number of military friends who um, didn't come home. And we always do our best to try to play a fatherly role when we can, uh, not forgetting those kids even, you know, 10, 20 years later. Yeah. It, it, one way, there's no way around it. It's a travesty. Obviously, it's affecting the African-American community more than any other community. And like mm-hmm. you said, I've talked to I've had Dr. Ben Carson on here, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, a, a lot of guys that have I had talked to Michael Irvin at the Super Bowl last year. They all harped on, on this notion as being, you know, just an epidemic in the African-American community. So bringing it back into you as a father here, then, uh, Carl, what would you consider to be the top values that you hope to instill in all your kids growing up? So, you know, I have a theory in life called the rock and the road theory. And I basically, I live my life by two principles, which is uh, one was from my high school wrestling coach who said, never half-ass anything, whole-ass everything. Um, so basically, you know, my wife asked me one day, she was like, what's your New Year's resolution? I was like, why would I have a New Year's resolution? I wake up every day trying to, you know, take it to the max. She goes, okay, you're crazy. But um, the the next thing is the rock and the road theory. And that might, that is, if you're driving down the road, you see a rock that's fallen off the side or whatever, and it's fallen into the road. A 999 people who see that will just drive around it, and they'll go about their merry way. One out of those 1,000 people will get out and move the rock. And the problem is, is all if someone comes around that turn too fast and hits that rock, I believe it's partially their fault for driving too fast, but it's also the, the community fault of somebody not taking responsibility for righting a wrong. And I always tell my kids, be the person who gets out and moves the rock. And if you live your life by that, if you see something, you know, it's the the same DHS motto, see something, say something. But it's, you know, if you teach somebody to take responsibility, even when it might not be your responsibility, when, when, when you look at society as a whole, be the guy and or girl in society who, you know, is not just looking out for themselves, the, the, the guys before them, the guys after them, whatever. Be the person who does something, like leave your mark on this world to be better than it was when you came into it. Yeah, very well said, Carl. And I think it's even, I mean, in a lot of places you can look to this, even in the Bible, like it says, you know, uh, find a way to serve other people. And that's the way mm-hmm. to lead to greatness. And I think, you know, that's one thing I try to do with my kids as well is trying to make them uh, be of service to other people. It just it just makes you, I, I, I think, number one, feel good. And number two, uh, it makes you a better person all the way around. So I love what you say there. What about as far as discipline goes here? Navy SEAL uh, obviously uh, requires a lot. Of, what kind of disciplinarian are you as a dad? And is that different than the discipline style you grew up with? Um, so I did not grow up in a military family. My, both my grandparents, both my grandfathers were in the military, but it skipped, uh, it skipped a generation. And, um, I had discipline. I had a great family. You know, my parents split after I left high school and they're both remarried now. And, you know, there's no bad blood or anything like that. So I'm very fortunate and both live in town. I see them regularly. The, um, the discipline I had was very different. Um, it was the discipline I was taught was very academic. Uh, I'm not exactly 
a Harvard grad student. <laughs> I didn't even get an undergrad. So it was, it was a little bit of a different, uh, different relationship. I was also kind of a pain in the ass when I was a kid too. So, um, but you know, who wasn't? So I, I think that the discipline that I was handed with my parents above all, like we always knew they cared for us. They always, you know, I was very fortunate to, to see that they would do anything they could to make us, um, you know, make sure that we were the priority. I mean, my, I went to boarding school and my mother used to drive up there every weekend, pick me up and bring me home. Uh, it was, I mean, it, it was a lot. And looking back, like you're like, wow, it's just a woman is giving up 10 hours of her weekend to transport me. So for me to, um, for, for me to go into the military was like a bit of a, a shock for them. And my kids, we do things like chow PT, like, Hey guys, like let's get our hundred pushups before dinner. And, you know, my four-year-old will get up there and he'll do five or ten. And, you know, it kind of looks like a, a worm crawling down the <laughs> hallway. But, you know, it, it's it's the principle of of having that discipline, the cause and effect. And I, I think that that combined with the, the household that I was given where my parents, you know, put the kids first. And that, you know, that was a huge upbringing difference. I mean, my, my parents were, I don't want to say they were anti-gun Democrats, but they were not gun people. And so my kids grew up, they grew up shooting guns and things like that. Me, the first gun I saw, I wanted to play with it. Them, they're like, oh, just a, a gun, you know. So it's, it's a different difference of culture. But I think overall it's, uh, you know, combining both the, the softer and the harder side of parenting is, is, is good for kids. Yeah, very well said, Carl. And I, and I wanted to get into something here because uh, I'm curious about your opinion on this. I know you spoke about in one of your books there being molested as a kid. My my yeah. wife was my wife was molested by a family member when she was a kid. So now my daughter is the same age now as my wife was while that was going on. So she's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, more hyper vigilant about it than I guess I am because I didn't go through the experience. I had uh, Matt Roloff on the podcast here from Little People Big World. He's a reality show guy. He found out that his son uh, was molested by one of the crew members and it devastated him because he felt like he wasn't protecting his child. Uh, going through that as a kid, how has that affected you as a father? And has it made you kind of like hyper vigilant to make sure that your kids are protected from something like that? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I didn't really understand the parenting side of it. Um, like I never told my parents until I was 18. Uh, I was ashamed of it. I, I kept it, buried it down deep and, and never said a word. And um, I can't imagine like if that happened to one of my kids, I, I I would just feel like I've let them down. I mean, even though it's you know, rationally, you know, it's not your fault. But I mean, to see your kids go through something like that. So I can't imagine how my parents felt when I initially told them. But um, I will say that it is it's something that is always in the back of your mind. Like when I drop some drop them off in an activity or do something like you, you always you know, it doesn't greatly affect, you know, what I choose for them to do and not to do, but you are hyper vigilant. I've never taught my kids don't know about it yet. They're eight and four, so they don't know about it yet. And I don't, I don't think they should be exposed to that type of thing, but I do teach them to be wary about stuff. You know, I, both of my kids are in jujitsu. My, you know, not that that would fend off an adult, but they, they understand the concept of self-defense and they understand what's right and wrong and in what an adult can do. We've had those discussions. And if something happens that they, you think is uncomfortable, tell us and I will rain hell on whatever person did that. But it's, you know, it, for me, it's definitely a learning experience. It's a sounding board. Um, and it's the way I coped with it. I didn't go through therapy for it. I didn't go, I, I buried it down deep and made sure that I was in a position at, at 
250-pound Navy SEAL to make sure that nobody could ever do that to me again. And that was that was the way I dealt with it. Yeah, and one of the things that concerns me, like you just said, you, you didn't even talk about it until you were like mm. 18 years old. Well, that's one of the things like I worry about as a, as a dad myself. I want to have that relationship where I would feel that my kids could come to me and talk to me. And I don't know what that looks like, to be honest with you. Like, I don't know um, what it would take for my kids to feel that type of uh, openness and trust to come with to me with something like that. Yeah, so it's... Um... I tell you, it was nothing to do with my parents. That it, not that I didn't trust them. It was the fact that I was ashamed of it. Um, and you know, like what parent goes out and asks if this has ever happened? You know, maybe they, maybe they had it. Maybe there were some warning signs. Maybe there weren't. I, I honestly, I was eleven. I don't really remember. But um, it wasn't that I didn't trust them. It was just that I, w- I didn't want anyone to know, and I, I saw it as a sign of weakness. So. I would hope my kids tell me if it ever happens. God forbid it ever happens. Um, and it's it just, it's a very, there's no easy way to broach the subject with a child. And I, I would hope that as a parent, I might be able to realize it. But then again, my parents were great parents and they didn't realize it. Yeah. And it affects a lot more people uh, than you believe, too. It, it, it's mm-hmm. not like it's an uncommon thing. So I appreciate you speaking to it. And then just getting right back into now having a new baby here. What is the excitement level or the uh, nervous level of your eight year old and your four year old? Are they ready for this or are they? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that. So my daughter has two brothers with her mother um, and obviously a, a brother on our side. So she was kind of hoping for a, a baby girl. So. But you know what? She's she's okay with it. Uh, my son, I don't think grasped it. He was like, we told him, and he was like, well, so where do I go? We're like, no, no, you stick around, dude. Like, we don't <laughs> we don't get rid of you. Okay? He was like, well, um, when is it coming? And we're like, well, March. He goes, why does it take so long? He, he, really, he thinks it's like an Amazon package. So, <laughs> you know, he's like, well, so are we going to be friends? I was like, well, yeah, you're, he's your brother. He's like, oh. Okay, I was like, so you'll have a sister, you'll have a brother, and it'll be you. You'll be in the middle. He's like, are we gonna have the same room? I was like, no, you're not. Gonna... He goes, okay, good. <laughs> Just yeah. like it's an issue. Like, and guys, I mean, dudes, we don't really like, we don't really connect with the baby until it can interact. Like, I mean, at least at least it's that way with me. I was like, yes, I hold him, I love my son, you know, and uh, you know, obviously, I have my wife right now who's pregnant. Was like, just you know, don't come near me right now. I don't I feel great. Like I don't, you know, so it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting experience. I, I, I look forward, my, my range is when they really start talking and especially having a hundred acre hunting property, I'm really looking forward to the extra labor force. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so cool. And, and obviously just cause we have still the COVID going on, have you been able to go to the appointments? Are you going to be able to be there? They told you you're going to be allowed to be there for the delivery. Do they want to try to sneak a mask in there on the uh, infant as soon as it comes out? How has it been during the COVID doing all the appointments? Uh, I just go <laughs> and I don't wear a mask and I don't really care what they say. And I told, actually I told one doctor, I said, find somebody big enough to get me out of here. And they were like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, Carl, it just, just for me personally, I, I, it's wild that I'm in New Jersey here and everywhere mm. you go, it's not required to wear a mask except for my kids that are going to school. And it's just uh, I, I think at this point, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm just alarmed that there's not so many people that are rising up against it. it that, that part of it to me is alarming. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was at my town um, 
you know, I'm on the town council in my hometown, and I was at a town meeting, and this is actually, um, I did a, a segment on Newsmax, and it's up on uh, on my Twitter account. I, I spoke at my my board of education meeting, and I was like, look, you guys, here's pictures that the superintendent is tweeting about with teachers with no masks, you know, and like the standard is you have to wear masks in school. So are you going to punish these teachers? Well, no, of course not. Why would we punish the teachers? They're doing constructive learning or blah, 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 you know, some dumb, some bureaucratic process. And then I said, well, so if you're not going to enforce it on them, I'm not going to send my daughter to school with a mask. They're like, well, your daughter has to wear a mask. She was like, no, she doesn't. There's no consequences for these people. Why would there be for her? And it was like, well, but they're teachers. And I'm like, but that's like, are we doing science? Like, why would you unmask the people who are at risk and not mask the people who are at oh, virtually no risk? And they, they couldn't answer these things because they don't actually do science. This is about control. And now I just see Newsom coming out about mandatory vaccinations for kids. Look, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Like, I think that the vaccine is the right choice for some people. Um, I haven't ruled it out myself. I just not right now because I want to see what happens in five years. I mean, this is a largely new technology, the way it's being applied. And like the smallpox vaccine, let alone the fact that smallpox is a 40 percent mentality rate. Um, this the COVID, I had COVID. I'm, by all scientific definitions, I'm far more immune than anybody who's been vaccinated. So why take the risk? And that's what I think people don't really, or I should say the bureaucrats really don't want to understand. They just want a one size fits all. We're in control because we said so. And that doesn't work for me. And I'm going to, I told my kids, you know, it's your body. You make those choices with me. Yeah. And, I, and I'm with you there too, Carl. I, I don't care what it is. I would never allow my kids to get vaccinated with this thing. So that's just me personally. I'm just, I'm just surprised. You know, I know this thing has become so political, uh, which is unfortunate to see, but you know, I don't, I don't want to hype too much, uh, you know, harp on that too much, but obviously listen, you've been crushing it here on Newsmax. What kind of plans or goals do you have? You got any more books in the making here? I know you got the new kid, uh, new baby coming here in March. What's next for you? What kind of goals or plans you got for the future? Uh, so that's, I mean, look, I, I, I dabble in finance. I shouldn't, shouldn't say I dabble. That's my main career, but I also do Newsmax on, and, uh, you know, I'm working on another book right now. It's, uh, that I'm hoping to be out in about another six months. And it's, a, it's a, you know, I'm seeing history getting wiped off the face of the earth, um, in our education system, because, you know, somebody had did something 300 years ago that would, didn't line up with the woke agenda. And now we got to tear their statue down. Uh, so it's going to be about history. It's going to be about the history of this country and whether, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly um, and teaching people. Exam- you know, it's a series of short stories, five to eight page stories about each person from, you know, Oppenheimer to Ben Franklin to, you know, anybody and anyone who helped shape the cra- and craft America. And I, I think it's going to be an important thing for people to read stuff that's honestly not taught anymore. Yeah, well, I think it's an important book. It's great that, uh, you know, there's guys like you that are bringing this stuff out there because it's, it is important for our kids. I mean, I'm, big, I'm a big history buff myself, so I look forward to it when it comes out. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Carl, I love to ask all the dads again on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father that's out there listening? You know, I saw the greatest picture, and I would, I, I would, I would ask everybody go out there and it was just a, a picture that popped up on my Instagram somewhere, like probably three, four years ago. And it showed a dad with his kids sitting on his lap. And, you know, it was a little bit dark. And I get a little bit emotional thinking about this. And he had all these arrows in his back. It was a cartoon picture. And it was just like a salute to dads everywhere, you know, because we take a lot of heat. And I, I, I mean, I get emotional just thinking about this picture right now. We take, um, we take, dads take a lot of heat. And 
you know, as, as most men, we just kind of swallow it and, and go on without our day. And I, I want dads to know out there that they're appreciated and the sacrifices they make and getting up. I mean, moms too, obviously, but you know, since we're talking about dads is, is, you know, doing the job. Sometimes you don't always like getting up early when you're tired, getting up in the middle of the night with the kid. Um, you know, just know that it's it, it's appreciated. You mean it might not be appreciated now, but um, your kids can't afford you not to do it. Yeah, wow, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Carl Higby, you're a first class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time. Thank you, first class fatherhood. I appreciate it. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. i got to give a special thank you once again to Carl Higby for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you've got to go flip it back to all the other Navy SEAL dads who have joined me here. I've had the honor of interviewing over 60 frogmen on the podcast uh, from just about every SEAL team there is. So go through the archives. Check them all out. Uh, it's such an honor that I had the ability here and the opportunity to speak to so many great warriors for our nation. Always a humbling experience. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. <laughs>